baby just had a birthday. Her first birthday. So many feelings and emotions accompany the first birthday. A lot of people asked me if the year flew by. A lot of people congratulated me, saying, you know, the first year is a big milestone for both baby and the parents. Some people asked me if we were already trying for baby number two. But as we approached our baby's first birthday, the main question I got was, so are you going to give her cake and take pictures while she eats it and makes a huge mess? And I have to admit, my first reaction to this question was more of disbelief than of humor. I don't think I actually saw this happen until I was a teenager. I mean, how does it seem like a good idea? Would it be acceptable behavior for an adult to sit down with cake and make a huge mess while consuming enough calories in one sitting that would essentially be enough for three to four days? Not only that, are all of this adult's friends and family surrounding him or her and laughing and encouraging while taking pictures? At this point, what are we celebrating? Are we really celebrating this child's first year of life? Why are we so happy that we're at a point where we are now giving to our innocent baby a substance that doctors, working in conjunction with the Cleveland Clinic, have said is only safe to consume to the maximum amount of 6 teaspoons a day for even a full-grown adult? It's like saying, here, eat this. And now that you've eaten it, welcome to a lifelong battle and balance of not overeating this amazing substance as to not make yourself unhealthy. At this point in my baby's life, she'd never even had cake. So was this cake for her, or was the cake for us adults? My baby didn't even know if cake was good or not. My baby didn't even know if the cake was good or not. So the excitement for her to have cake wasn't her excitement at all. It was ours. So why the rush? Why is this even a one-year tradition? In 2019, according to a survey done by Inc. Magazine, 71% of people who made a New Year's resolution was to eat healthier. Translated, eat less. The second most common New Year's resolution was to exercise more. Translated, reduce some of the negative effects of eating too much sugar. And the third most popular resolution was to lose weight. Translated, eat less sugar. So, in adulthood, one of the main things we're trying to do is to have a healthier relationship with sugar and food overall and to mitigate the damage it does to our bodies. It really doesn't follow logically then that if I'm trying to teach my baby to have a healthy relationship with sugar, that before she is even capable of making a wise logical decision as to her diet and food consumption that I am introducing her to a super sweet addictive food that is legitimately the source of so many problems in life. Why would I want to do anything that would develop a taste for something as addictive as sugar until it was absolutely necessary to teach her about sugar? Why would I want to do this to my baby who is not even capable of making good food decisions on her own? So I ask again, what are we celebrating on the first birthday when the hallmark moment is turning our baby into a victim of gluttony while consuming one of the most addictive substances of our lifetime? I fail to see how this is a celebration of my baby, nor do I see how it is a good decision for parents either. I mean, when has it ever made parenting easier when a child desires candy so badly that it affects their behavior or becomes some sort of reward. Think about it. Sugar becomes a bribe in which we influence our behavior. And adults do it too, so I guess I'm not that surprised. I mean, I am guilty of this. If I have a good workout, sometimes I think I deserve an extra cookie or something. We are using a legitimately dangerous substance as a bribe. It's like saying here, don't engage in this bad behavior, 
and I will reward you with bad behavior. The bad behavior, of course, is treating something as a reward that isn't really doing us any health favors. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, come on. It's just the first birthday and she's only one. This won't have lasting damaging effects. Okay, I actually agree with that. But that's also precisely the thought process that leads up to 71% of people to a point where they feel the need to make it the focus of an entire year of their life to eat less sugar. 40% of adults in the United States are obese. Not just overweight, but obese. And the habits are starting as babies. Here's the interesting thing. I think they're right, and I agree with them. There probably won't be lasting damage from a piece of cake on her first birthday. But that obviously isn't the problem then, is it? The problem is us adults and our relationship with sugar. So I'd like to focus on a couple of things. First, what kind of problem is our unhealthy relationship with food and sugar and what is it doing to us? And second, what are we going to do as parents? And spoiler alert, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Why? Well, because I'm kind of a hypocrite. I love sugar. And I admit that my relationship isn't entirely healthy with sugar. Sugar is a stress relief for me. I use it as a reward sometimes for a job well done, maybe at the gym or at work. Nothing says, good job going to the gym, like immediately crushing your hard work at the gym with some sugar. What I do recognize, though, is that I don't want my baby to have an unhealthy relationship with sugar, and I am in a position to do something about it. So let's dig into our relationship with sugar. Here is some perspective. In a study done by the New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services, 200 years ago, the average American ate only 2 pounds of sugar per year. In 1970, we ate 123 pounds of sugar per year. Now we're averaging about 152 pounds of sugar in a year. This is about 3 pounds or 6 cups of sugar in a week. We love sugar, and we put it in everything. Sugar has become such a pervasive part of our lives, and it is ruining us. Consuming too much sugar is directly related to the huge increase in obesity. Consequently, obesity is one of the main risk factors for type 2 diabetes, and type 2 diabetes is growing really fast. According to the CDC, 100 million Americans have either diabetes or prediabetes. And according to this study, prediabetes means that if not treated, they'll have full-blown diabetes in about 5 years. So in a nutshell, when you have type 2 diabetes, your body essentially fails to remove sugar from your blood. And there really isn't a cure for type 2 diabetes either. Once you have it, you have it. Sure, you can reverse early diabetes with healthy eating and exercise, but according to doctors, you've just controlled it, not gotten rid of it. It is either controlled or uncontrolled after you have it, but you essentially have it for life. And type 2 diabetes is really scary too. One of the scariest parts about it is that it is a silent killer at first. Most people don't know they have it until damage is already being done. People can feel fine without really noticing any symptoms. And when they do notice the symptoms, it's late and the damage is already well underway. Symptoms include blurred vision, which can eventually become blindness, dizziness, headaches, memory problems, speech coordination difficulties accompanied by an increased risk of stroke and dementia, chest pain, shortness of breath, swelling in the legs because the heart is failing, increased thirst and urinary frequency because the kidneys can't filter the sugar out so it's just spilling into the urine. Oftentimes it hurts to urinate with an increased risk of UTIs and yeast infections, constipation and bloating, numbness, tingling, 
due to nerve damage which can manifest as either a burning pain or just numbness. Left untreated, people eventually lose limbs and their organs start to shut down. Type 2 diabetes is a killer and it does not kill nicely. And if we don't have a healthy relationship with sugar, we increase our risk of getting it and the same goes for our children. It isn't surprising that our consumption of sugar and our increase in average weight is correlated. In 1960, the average male weight was about 166 pounds. It increased to 191 pounds in 2002. And this also changed for children. In 1960, the average weight for a 10-year-old boy was 74 pounds, and for a girl was 77 pounds. In 2002, that jumped to 85 pounds and 88 pounds, respectively. The big question here is, whose fault is this weight gain in the children? Is it the 10-year-old's fault, or is it the fault of the adults? I believe it is our fault. It is the adult's fault. An obese 10-year-old isn't obese because he or she decided to be on their own. An obese 10-year-old is a victim of what life was pushed on them. Between 2002 and 2012, type 2 diabetes in children increased between 4 and 5% each year. Think about what we just heard about the kind of life somebody can expect with type 2 diabetes, and I think we can clearly agree that something needs to change. A young child with type 2 diabetes is going to have a hard life and possibly a hard death at some point because of a disease that was mostly preventable. Now what about the psychological effects of being overweight or obese? A study conducted showed that overweight kids were twice as likely to be victims of name-calling, and four times as likely to be victims of name-calling if they were obese. Obese kids were about three to four times more likely to be victims of some sort of physical bullying. Twice as many overweight kids were excluded from group activities, while nearly four times as many obese kids were excluded from group activities. Now, I don't think I need to dive too much deeper into this to realize that we need to teach our children how to have a healthy relationship with food. And secondary to this, we need to teach our kids to not bully those who might struggle with their weight. That's an entirely different conversation. Up to this point, I've only highlighted obesity as a consequence of an unhealthy relationship with sugar. There are many other facets and many other ways an unhealthy relationship with sugar can affect a life. For example, but certainly not limited to, bulimia nervosa, anorexia nervosa, and binge eating. Now, I feel that it is really important to mention these because they are real and deserve attention. And in our zeal to protect our children from obesity we can easily swing the pendulum too much the other way and create some very negative consequences in their relationships with sugar, namely in some of the disorders I just listed. A review in the archives of general psychiatry confirmed that anorexia nervosa had the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Too far in any direction in our relationship with food lies danger. So we have almost 100 million people suffering from diabetes or prediabetes, and 30 million people suffering from some form of eating disorder in the United States right now. In all, we have at least 130 million, or about a third of our country, who have some form of unhealthy relationship with food, and this is causing them to have a lower quality of life. I do not want this for my daughter. Now, as a father, I've been really trying to explore the best ways to raise my daughter so she does have a healthy relationship with food. This has turned out to be difficult. My wife and I talk about this a lot. I know my daughter is only one, but she's watching us and copying us every day. 
I mean, every day it's something new. I know for sure she's learning my eating habits just from watching me. So the time is now. I've done some research and found some interesting things. First of all, according to the American Heart Association, children should get less than 25 grams of sugar, or 6 teaspoons, per day. And for children under 2, the American Heart Association recommends no sugar at all. This includes fruit juices too. Fruit juice has no nutritional value. So let's put this into perspective. Here are some popular foods I've seen given to kids. Minute Maid orange juice has 24 grams of sugar per 8 ounces. Now, a serving size for a kid or a child is 4 ounces. So, two servings a day and you've already maxed out the sugar limit. Minute Maid apple juice has 25 grams of sugar per 8 ounces. Sprite has 24 grams of sugar per 8 ounces. Honest Kids Super Fruit Punch has about 10 to 12 grams per 8 ounces. Chobani Blackberry Yogurt has 15 grams of sugar per half cup. For reference, Breyer's Vanilla Ice Cream has 14 grams of sugar per half cup. Gerber Yogurt Melts. Second ingredient is sugar. While the serving sizes are quite small because it's hard to eat a lot of those, so what? The second ingredient is sugar. From what I can see, it's really easy to give our kids too much sugar. And as I mentioned earlier, children can't choose a well-balanced diet, but we certainly can. I've noticed immediately a few things I can do, and certainly should do and should not do to help my daughter grow up with a healthy relationship with food. First, according to Dr. Edward Guidos, in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic, suggested that we let hunger be our guide. For example, he said, Offer kids healthy choices at every meal, and let them choose what their body tells them they need. It may be meat or vegetables first thing in the morning rather than at lunch or dinner, and that's okay. And this goes against some of my ideas I had initially. I used to think that I know what to give her, and I know what is best. Well, yes, I'm still going to do that, but I'm going to do it in a way where all of the options are available to her, and she'll pick and choose what she wants to eat. I shouldn't force her to eat anything she doesn't want, nor should I be restrictive of a healthy food, even if I think she's had too much of it, because it might be just what her body is needing. This was a paradigm shift for me, and I had to let go a little bit. Dr. Guido said, Coercive, restrictive, and environmental cues that tell us when to eat can override our natural self-regulation so that we no longer pay attention to hunger and fullness cues. Granted, with my baby being so young, Skittles are off the table for sure, but in an attempt to follow a daddy-knows-best approach to what my daughter needs and should be eating, I could have easily caused her to become numb to her own bodily cues. If I'm going to teach my daughter to have a healthy relationship with food, then teaching her to pay attention to her body is a good place to start, even at one year old, apparently. Second, food is not going to be a reward for my baby. This is another paradigm shift for me. I tend to hold myself to a restrictive meal plan throughout the week, and then I like to open up and reward myself with sugar on the weekends. I'm also a functioning, well, mostly functioning, a grown adult, and I have gotten myself to a system that works. That said, rewarding kids with candy can become a vicious cycle. And as I said earlier, it's like rewarding good behavior with a bad behavior. I think it just sends the wrong message. Dr. Guidos didn't say that food shouldn't be enjoyed. It absolutely should be. It should be enjoyed as an experience with family and friends, and less so about a focus on the food itself. Another doctor working with Dr. Guido said that sweets should be given strictly as a treat in reasonable portions on special occasions or days. There is a balance here. 
I was very anti-sugar for my daughter's first year of life. I wanted to be anti-sugar until she was at least two years old also. But this approach can bring about a certain conflict. And I had to realize this. And this conflict arises because, well, 100% restriction on sugar can lead to some pretty serious consequences as a child grows up. Restricting sugar brings the attached message that we're restricting sugar because it must be bad. How can something that tastes so good be so bad? In a little person's developing mind, this creates some severe dissonance. Then, eating sugar can bring shame. Shame, in and of itself, is an unhealthy relationship with food. So, with a good intention of trying to make my daughter healthy, I can easily plunge her into a dark place of secretive eating full of shame and guilt. That certainly would not end well. Now, I don't think that a peer restriction of sugar until two years old is going to cause this. This is why I allowed my baby to have a cupcake on her birthday. Granted, I made the cupcake from scratch and it had zucchini in the recipe. I knew exactly what I was giving her. I wanted my daughter to grow up feeling included in our social activities. There is a social aspect to eating and I didn't want her to feel left out. When we're with family, she already shows interest in eating and what we're eating. She undoubtedly feels as if she's part of the family. Whenever we're out, we always make sure she has healthy food. We've decided that on celebrations and special occasions, now that she's one, she can have a couple of tastes of a dessert, but we limit to a few bites. That said, though, it is also really important to lead by example. The other night, we went out to dinner with some family, and I did not want her to have any dessert, so I skipped dessert too. She wasn't left out because I didn't have dessert either. As I mentioned, I am kind of a hypocrite here. I do like my sugar, and I consume it more than I should. That said, just because I'm working on making my own relationship with sugar better doesn't mean I can't create good boundaries for my daughter. My wife and I make it a priority to feed her healthy food. She doesn't know any better, so it's our responsibility. Not only will it be good for my daughter, for my wife and I to set healthy standards for her, it continues to motivate us to eat healthier all the time. It has dawned on me how much it is my responsibility to teach my daughter how to have a healthy relationship with food. And I don't think I realized this at first. The world does not teach this. The world we live in teaches us that bigger and sweeter is better. And because of that, we acquire a taste for sweet things at such an early age. And then we need an extremely high amount of sugar to satisfy that taste. And I am no exception. I love sugar. I love candy and treats. It is a constant battle to have a healthy relationship with sugar, and it scares me that I might fail her. And I'm not about to tell people how to feed their kids. I simply wanted to highlight how things have been going so far. And you know what? It's a bit scary. Scary enough, at least for me, to want to teach my daughter differently. I think we owe it to our kids to be educated and to educate them about the food they eat. Because in reality, the alternative is no way to live. 